All right, welcome back everyone to the Ask an Operator podcast where we interview some of the brightest business minds to understand the different tactics and strategies that they use to build their companies. And here on the pod, we are big on tactics, light on fluff, and we are definitely going to deliver that today because our guest was previously the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Via, a mobile commerce platform that grew to well north of a $100 million valuation in just two and a half years. And I'm likely severely underselling that number. He's since, to gone on, he's since gone on to found a holding company with stakes in real estate, investment funds, digital marketing, and with a focus on SMS and email. And he's also an angel investor in fast-growing brands like Alipop. Overall, he's an incredible and gracious individual with a wealth of knowledge in entrepreneurship. So I wanna give a huge welcome to Mr. Greg Woodfield. Welcome to the Ask an Operator pod. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I appreciate the intro. I mean, I think for anybody listening to the intro, I mean, it's not a lot cracked up to what it sounds like, but uh, I'll try to do my best to give you uh, hopefully some good uh, tips that I learned along the way. I also forgot to include, he's an incredibly humble individual as well. So uh, it's <laughs> I'll, I'll give the credit where credit's due. <laughs> Man, you've been able to achieve some incredible things in the past several years of your career and all at quite a young age. And one thing that you always have talked about in even our private conversations is the important uh, aspect of networking and relationships when you're building. And it's something that I notice you talk a lot about. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what network relationships have done for you uh, in building your different companies and how did you go about cultivating that? Um, that's a, that's a great question. And um, you said no fluff. So I'm going to try not to give any fluff here, but uh, truthfully, I think that a lot of people are afraid to be just themselves. And what I mean by that is you go to an event and you see these people who are dressed like in Gucci across the board, right? And let's say that you're a person who can't afford Gucci, but you're going to an event where everybody's dressed in Gucci. A lot of times people feel like they have to like, you know, speak up or they have higher imposter syndrome. They feel like they can't really be themselves around these people. When you could stereotype that person wearing Gucci and be like, oh, that's just an arrogant asshole or like, you know, or it's a, a person who worked really hard, depending on kind of your perception. But my thought is that every room has a connection and then a connection that can help you. So it may not be the person in Gucci or maybe the person in Gucci, but you just have to be yourself. And myself is I always just try to focus on like who I am and who I am not. Like I'm not a person who's going to like stroke an ego. I'm not a person who's going to like lie about how like successful I've been or how I've not been, I'm going to go to a person and just get to know them. Right. And you're going to find people who love to talk about themselves. And so you just let them talk about themselves. Right. And you're going to find somebody who like loves to have a really cool conversation. So like when I talked to Nick for the first time, I think we talked for like an hour and a half about just random crap, his business. And I learned all about his businesses and his agency. And like, then I started piecing together, like, Hey, I think Nick would benefit from a conversation with another person in my network. And so what I started to identify when it came to networking, specifically for business needs, is I started finding people who could use other people's services and connecting those people and never talking about myself or what I did. Like very rarely would I call upon a friend and be like, hey, I need a favor. I need an intro or, hey, I need you to do this for me. So what I found is like, if I just started connecting people to who they needed to talk to, um, or if it was like a, a strong leader, if it was, hey, you need to get intro to a fund, a fund you need to, uh, a person who's really good um, in operational efficiencies, you need a person who's in marketing and branding, you need a person who uh, is really good at creating vision and mission, you need revenue, you need customer experience, I tried to pride myself just like as my own internal competition with being a person with just a massive list. And then I would just make sure that I had touch points with those individuals at least once a quarter. And so those are just kind of like maybe tips and tricks. And then if you want to drill down even deeper, 
it would be remembering the person's name, right? Remembering something that they do, remembering where they live, what they care about, um, because people want to feel cared about. I mean, we're humans at the end of the day. And I think it's really cool if somebody's like, oh yeah, like I remember you, like went to that Miami dinner together. We connected. It was so cool to talk to you. Like how's business going? And I think that's where I grew the most as a business owner. Revenue grew, personal growth grew just by being myself. And so I think for anybody struggling with networking, um, really you have to put yourself out there, but don't put the wrong version of yourself out there. Put like the raw, unfiltered who you are out there and you're going to find an audience that resonates with you and wants to see you win. So, Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point, especially on the being yourself front, because otherwise you're having to prop up this, this false interpretation of, of who you are uh, to that yes. group of people for a long time. Right. Yep. Exactly. So that's really interesting. So when you check in with people quarterly, would you be setting like calendar reminders for yourself or how are you actually tactically going about making sure I have this whole list of people to keep up with? Cause I feel like that could be overwhelming at times. Yeah, no, no, it is. But I knew that my superpower for me was like my network, my opportunity to connect with the person, find what they needed, try to connect them to that person and then just stay in touch. But they were genuine like touchbacks, right? Like, it would be like, Hey man, how's things going? You're like liking a picture on Instagram, commenting on it. Be like, you guys are crushing it. Like keep going. Like those are all genuine things for me. They weren't like served to a purpose of like, I'm going to get business by liking somebody's Instagram photo, even though I hate that person. Right. Like I would probably never like, I actually got rid of Instagram. because I was just tired of doing it all the time. But like, um, I think the, the, the thought process, um, that I have is I, I kept the Excel sheet and anybody that had an impact on me, I would put in that Excel sheet. And what I mean by that is like, I genuinely appreciated their story, who they were. I felt like they were genuine. I felt like they were the expert in their space. Like they were the best creative. They were the best ad agency. They were the best email marketer. They were the best CEO. Like, and I would keep their name. If I had their contact, like email, Instagram, wherever I kind of found them, had like a data validation table that I would just kind of click and say like, Instagram met an event or Instagram like contacted through LinkedIn. And then I put notes about that person. And then I would just have like Q1, two and three. And I just put like, <clears throat> you know, contacted, you know, once a quarter. So I think I built that list to like roughly, I don't know, 1500 to 2000 people at one point. And um, yeah, it is like overwhelming to keep track of, but at the same time, I'm like, you can have more than one friend and you can have like a huge network and not everybody is going to need you at some point, but one at one point, somebody's going to think like, ah, like this, uh, this agency kind of consulting agency that teaches other agencies, like how to do business and how to operate their business, like the Hydra, like business, right? Like <laughs> I think a lot of people are going to be like, Hey, at some point, I hope that my friend would open their mouth when like it serves it up on a platter where a person's like, man, like I'm struggling with my agency. I have good operations. I need help with revenue. Like, they be like, oh, perfect. Like I got my two friends, you know, Josh and Nick, they run this business. You should check them out. Cost this much, join their stuff, do this. And that's all it takes. And if you have enough people saying that about you, in the moments where they could and you're top of mind, most people will. Um, and that's where I guess to your point, like tips and tricks of trying to like drill down deeper is I just kept an Excel sheet and then just made sure that like I was keeping in contact with those people who I felt like I could either help, they could help me, they could help one of my friends, their businesses. So I just try to be a person where it's like, if I can create value for enough people, enough value will be created for me. That's, that's incredible. I love, love that last line. For someone who doesn't or hasn't prioritized networking or building more of that one-to-one -one, uh, relationship with people, maybe they are distributing content across different platforms uh, because let's, let's be honest, it's a little bit easier than, than ground game with people. What would you recommend for them to kind of get started? Is it going to events, 
Is it paying to go to those events? Is it joining masterminds or is it something entirely different? Uh, in terms of how to start building that out. What's up, crew? If you're enjoying this episode of the Ask an Operator podcast, it would mean the world to me if you left us a quick rating and review. It really helps the show and really helps us bring more people valuable insights. So thanks a million, and let's get back to the show. Man, I'm, I'm probably the wrong person to ask the question to you on the social side, just because I think for those who know me are like, this guy's the most inconsistent person on social media I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and I'm very socially aware, but I think for me, what worked for me was events. Um, what worked for me was masterminds. And then I got burnt out on both. And what I mean by that is like, you know, when I left my last company, I, I truly found that people who associate themselves with status if you're no longer in a certain status, they'll leave you alone. They don't talk to you. They don't want to be associated with you. And that was interesting. That was an interesting uh, kind of learning, you know, personal learning, vulnerability learning for me, because there are people that I'm like, man, like I talk to you like on a weekly basis, but then I found out the only thing they cared about was the revenue I was producing for their business. Mm. And so I would challenge to everybody, just like if you're starting out and let's say somebody has this massive network don't be rose-colored glasses to be a part of their in circle. Um, and I mean that with the most love and respect for those people who have achieved high success in their life. But oftentimes those people went through the ringer to try to figure out how to get there. And so they kind of require a certain amount of like, you know, uh, I'd say kudo credential status points to be there. And so I think social is one way to do it, but I see a lot of social influencers, a lot of business influencers, a lot of podcasters put out bullshit constantly where I'm like, that's actually not even close to like what a marketing plan is. That's not even close to what a financial management like program would look like. That's actually like terrible advice about like quality control or operational efficiencies or like a customer centric approach. And I'm a very opinionated person for sure. And when you have multiple opinions on like one item, you're not building a uh, content to be just a opinion um, based like platform for people who um, want to eat up your content. What you're trying to find is people who want to find your content because they value the words that you're saying. And so I would say anybody who's putting out social Try to just put out valuable content. And what I mean by that is find people who are the expert in their industry. Like they may not be the best speaker, but they could like run circles around you on like how to like set up an email flow or how to actually structure your business in a way that's super profitable or how to protect your business from like regulatory concerns in like a certain market. So I was always um, trying to be like a student to the social media that I would intake a lot of where I'd watch and I'd view. And I would always try to find the people that were like, not just motivational, but people who like really knew about a specific subject. And then I would diversify that uh, kind of content. So yes, long winded, but like, I would try to find your niche, like what you feel really com comfortable in or comfortable in. So if you're like a social butterfly and like you talk to everybody, Go to events, go burn yourself out for a year and just go hard, right? Um, if you're like, hey, like <clears throat> I like the tech side, I like social media, I think it's cool to be a part of like that kind of group and do collabs and meet with cool people, do that. If you want to do interviews of like operators, right? Do that. Just find a niche that really kind of works to your personality. Again, like coming back to you, it's like just being genuine, being you and like, I feel like you'll be able to scale that a lot faster than being like, I'm going to be an influencer one day. And then just like, you get on it. You're like, I actually hate this shit. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great, great points, man. I want to change gears a little bit to uh, the structuring and building uh, side of things and, and less on the networking side. You've built businesses, both bootstrapped and raised capital. And I want to go a little bit deeper on that on who do you think is the right kind of business to raise capital and what are some of the pitfalls or pros and cons of that? 
And when is it right to make the decision to bootstrap instead? That's a good question. I, I think, um, I think there's a lot of ways to like kind of answer um, that. I, I just think of like, I think of an article I wrote and it was on Medium. This is like my ideas. I was like, okay, like people want to know about like raising money. So I'm going to write an article. And, um, you know, we've raised, you know, between 50 and 100 million bucks in like a 12 month period of time from like tier one venture capitalists. And, and there's a big difference in like the type of company that a, that an angel would invest into a company and the capital that a venture company would invest into a company. And then there's businesses who should never raise money and should just bootstrap. So I'll start with the reason why, like for those who want to bootstrap, it will be for like maybe more lifestyle. Meaning if you can endure the first three years of any business, because the first three years are the hardest in my own opinion, like you're trying to find your, you know, MVP, you know, you're trying to find a target audience. You're trying to find your marketing niche. You're trying to get above like, you know, the break even point of being able to pay like payroll or insurance or just the basic necessities to kind of like provide and live. If you can make it past that like three, four and five and you're in year five and let's say that you're doing 14, 15 million a year in your business at that point and your take home is like, let's say three or four million as an, as a CEO and you take care of your employees, you provide opportunity and healthcare and like freedom, like, and you have a really cool vision and you allow autonomy and your leaders to grow and you try to emulate what that like leader should look like to your company. Why would you ever give up the ability to just continually do that without reporting to a board? Now, I'm not saying that a board is bad, but you are required every quarter to be on a board meeting to report the financial status, the leadership status, the customer status, the what keeps you up at night. And there are great investors who will support you and you know build you up as big as Apple, right? And they all have boards. But again, I think if you're more of a lifestyle person where it's like, you know, I'm gonna go and hunt for three weeks and my staff can take care of everything, right? Or Hey, like I went into business so that way I could race my Ferrari on Friday and that I could go and climb a mountain and then, you know, I can answer four hours of emails and then be on a golf course. And then I want to go and fish on a lake. Like you have to just determine what type of entrepreneur you are. So if you're an entrepreneur who appreciates the lifestyle of being able to pick your kid up from school and then be able to go and jam and work hard for five hours and then still make like, you know, two, three million bucks a year then you're probably better off bootstrapping your business because you like the lifestyle that it offers as opposed to the pressure cooker that becomes a um, raise. So transitioning from bootstrap into raising capital. When I think about raising capital, um, <clears throat> there's kind of key things. Like you need to develop a compelling pitch. You have to have a strong team. Um, you have to conduct market research. You have to build network, build relationships with venture capitalists. So you cast your net really wide. You have to have a very strong financial model, like what your NRR rate is. Like, are you 95% or are you 125%? Um, are you, you know, tripling your first year, tripling your second year, doubling your third year, doubling your fourth year, doubling your fifth year, well on your way to 100 million ARR. Um, you know, be preparing to negotiate. Like, what does your traction look like? And then being prepared for due diligence. So for example, like an investor is going to want to open up the, open up the hood of your car. So peel back those curtains and be like, okay, you tell me you're doing 3.5 million in revenue, but like your actual financial statements only show a million. So your other 2 million you're spending on what? And if you don't have those questions, right, you probably won't raise the money, but in a venture arm and a venture company, your acceleration will go faster because cash is king right? You take your business, you've been bootstrapping. Let me give you a million dollars tomorrow. What can you go do with that? And you're like, oh, I could go attend this event. I could pay for this sponsor. I could go and uh, hire four more salespeople. I could get a COO to take off these five things off my plate. So it gives you more luxury, but I would say in a lot of ways, uh, I had a you know, pretty successful mentor of mine 
tell me that a lot of people don't make raw business decisions when they have money in the bank. They make very poor decisions. And so I think um, when it comes to venture, there are, there are pros being you have money in the bank, you can scale faster, you have way more fuel, you have way more runway. The pressure's less on like the actual money side of your business, but more on the success. And what I mean by that is like, you're expected to grow the company. You're expected to save your customers. And so those would be kind of like the differences before or side by side, but I don't think there's one wrong way or right way. I just think you need to identify what type of entrepreneur you want to be. So if it's venture, you create a tech company. Like you don't create a brand and go into venture. You're going to get a 6X multiple, which is still awesome to all you brand people out there. Not shitting on that. I promise it's hard and it's the same and business is tough. But if you're going to go into venture, your multiples on venture are 10 to like 70X at a series C. So your exits are like programmatically different and more money over time, but you just need to kind of find the right venture to go into. So that's where I'd recommend software. If you're going to go into like, for example, a product-based business, which I have a ton of friends who are doing that, you need to be making relationships with private equity firms because most of those product-based businesses, like the prime, prime company, right? Prime's going to sell for like, eight, 10, $15 billion Gatorade's going to be sick of them getting, you know, tossed around. So when you think about like private equity in general, that's just another thing, you know, that I would kind of consider. So there's a lot of things to kind of consider when it comes to just, I guess, raising capital, but it all comes back to like, who are you? Like, do you like lifestyle? You want to pick up your kids from school? and like have freedom and give your employees and like do crazy perks be like hey like i'm gonna buy everybody disneyland passes today like that very rarely happens in like a financially controlled business that like is more focused on the profitability as opposed to like maybe long-term employment happiness and some may have very opposing views to that um which is okay um and then the venture side is Hey, like I can go and try to scale this in four years and exit, you know, and then if you're trying to do a brand, it's like, Hey, I want to sell this in three to five years to a PE company. So start making those relationships now and get them involved as an investor early on. So identify which, um, I guess, founder you are. And I think you'll find your path to the money or not the money. So now that you've done both, what kind of founder are you? I'm definitely a bootstrap founder. Um, you know, I think I like at the height, like of raising money, raising money is exhausting. It's a full-time job. Like you're constantly doing it. Um, there's a lot of due diligence involved, the pressure, especially if you're young, like later down the road, I think it would be like, it'd be like, you know, yeah, like I'd do it again. But I think when you're like in your early twenties, you're like, oh, like grinding your twenties, growing your thirties, retiring your forties, like all this like BS that people feed you, like, even though it's like true, but it's like the reality from like a 20 year old to be able to handle the stress of like a, like a 400 to $700 million company. No one's ever been there, like to a certain extent. So you're like your network when you're there, it's like very hard to relate with people who are like who've never managed over 50 employees, but when you're managing 200, 300 employees and you have 17 people coming in a week and you don't know their names, what they do, how much they're being paid. Right. And you just show up to a meeting and it's just like, Hey, like, good to meet you. Here's the story. Like, let's go jam. Let's go rock. That's a lot different than being like, you know, I want to know every one of my employees and I want to figure out how to make that employee's life change. So if I can do 30 employees that their life changes as a result of the financial benefit of this company, then I think like the express capitalism of like, I've made money for myself. I've made money for my employees and I've seen the success of my customers. It's no longer about money. It's now about fulfillment. And so I think the, the kind of contrast to raising money is I felt way more fulfilled bootstrapping a business than I ever did raising venture capital. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. What, was there a moment where you knew that that wasn't for you anymore? 
Yeah. Yeah. A year ago when I left my company at the height of it, you know, like I had a lot of people be like, what the hell are you doing, Greg? And I was like, you know, like I, uh, I'm making a decision for myself, um, not money. <clears throat> and I, I mean, to my own network, you know, to a lot of people who are out there, it's like, I left an insane amount of money on the table. Um, a ridiculous amount of money on the table. And like, I think a big portion of that was like, I wake up every day and I'm really not that happy. And like, I go and I have a conversation and I'm not really happy. So I lost that like kind of passion to go and build something because now I felt like I was building it for somebody else as opposed to myself. Mm. And it's like a shared build where part of me was like, I really love the early stage, like zero to three. Because it's like a ton of problems, you know, a ton of issues and everybody's just trying to solve things. Right. And you're trying to work as a team. And if you don't have any egos, then there's like this magic that happens. Right. But later stage, it's like more controlled, more regulated. And it doesn't mean that like, I don't like control or regulation, but again, it's like your influence in your own company now shifts and you have to figure out your place in your own company. And so I think that at that moment where I didn't know my place in my own company anymore, and I wasn't happy with like uh, how I was being treated or different things like that, I was like, you know, it just makes more sense for me to just leap and go on like a afterburner, like coming back down to earth after being on a rocket ship for four years. It was like, hey, like I'm going to really figure out what makes me happy in life. And what makes me fulfilled? Because if I'm going to do this business thing instead of work for somebody and I have to tell my little five-year-old son every night, like, hey, chase your dreams. The last thing I want to do is like be that dad that says like chase your dreams, but like he doesn't chase his too. And he just sees me work somewhere where I'm not happy. Like, whereas I'd rather be fulfilled and happy and be okay with the stresses. Doesn't mean it's all sunshine and rainbows like in the bootstrap world, but like, I think the difference is I feel way more fulfilled. So yeah, there was a, there was definitely a moment a year ago where I just woke up and I was like, this just doesn't excite me anymore. I'm not happy. So why do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. And I imagine one of the hardest decisions you've, you've had to make because you're a logical guy as well. I mean, even, even uh, I'm sure you've gone through times where you're unhappy, but you know, the light at the end of the tunnel or what the potential payoff could be. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I think that, that's the point is where, you know, that there's a pain to pay ratio, but you also just have to have enough self-respect to, to be like, there's no amount of money that you can put on price or price tagging your health and your happiness, right? Like I gained like 65 pounds in my own company since I've like lost it. I go to the gym every day. Like I freaking love feeling healthy again. I love sleeping. Like I was sleeping probably four hours a night for four years. Right. Sometimes mm -hmm. I just work straight through a day, just coffee King and just go hardcore. And like thought that was the way you build a company, but seeing that I can build a company and I've been growing it, you know, almost as fast as like my last company, it's like, I'm sleeping way more. I work out, like I see friends more. So I kind of feel like I'm building like the renaissance of me, which is like, Hey, why not do it all? Go golf, go build a business, go rock climb. Like you can do that. And a lot of entrepreneurs can't see outside of like, if I don't sell this thing for a hundred million dollars, my identity is no longer special. And I think that's the thing I've seen in so many entrepreneurs as I've done a lot of consulting. It's just like, who are you to your business and what's your identity? And is it tied to your business? So if you lost it tomorrow, who are you? And a lot of people actually can't figure that out. And so it scares them to staying. And then it also scares them to the money that they could potentially have. And those are all serious conversations you have to have with yourself. But I think for me, I just value fulfillment and happiness over anything else. And I'll never let money change that. So. That's incredible, man. I'm very happy for you that you're now in this, in this place. You seem, yeah, you. you seem relieved almost yeah. and like, yeah. you know, yeah, truly, truly on your path. One of the other things you talk about uh, in another one of your medium articles is the founder seller model versus the team scaled model. And I want 
you to kind of elaborate a little bit more on that is when do you know to make that shift from the founder seller to the team scaled model? And uh, if there's not a specific point, how do you decide which one you're going to do from the start? So um, I had another really wise mentor just said, hey, founder seller models don't scale and they don't end well. So think of it as in a restaurant, it will work, right? In the sense that it's like, hey, I hire people, I'm the owner, I'm the operator. And if you hear anybody talks about restaurant life, they're like, you live there. Because that's your life. Like you're in a service-based business and you have a high level of like a high level, like a standard that you have to have to meet every every customer's expectation. I try to bleed that down to your team, but you're stuck in one place. Like it's only the amount of people coming into your restaurant. So it's like, how good is your brand? How good is your marketing? But from like a venture backed company or even like just a bootstrap company, you have to go put on the first initial sales to know what like getting traction looks like, right? For your team. You have to be the customer service person getting on the phone, solving your customers' problems and being in the tool. You need to figure out, hey, hi, I need to break this system. So I got to figure out the product. So you have to know the product and be an expert of the product. You have to figure out, okay, like this is how we get inbound leads. And I need to figure out how to do that. I need to figure out how to do outbound, right? So if you're a good owner and operator, you're in every facet of your business and you kind of know what success looks like. And at that point where you know what success looks like, you should go and hire a person who's better than you, who's been there, done that. Like I have seen an early stage company go through this transition in sales and I can take you from zero to 5 million in sales. I've done it three times over, right? You jive with them, you vet them, you're really excited about them. You put them in that position and you get the hell out of their way and just let them go. Let them tell you what the KPIs are. Let them tell you what they want to go after, how they want to go after it. Steer, direct, guide as you see, but you already know kind of what success looks like. So to you, it's like for the next year, are they going to go and do what they say they're going to do? And that's the hardest part of business is finding those people. So if, you, if you're not good at giving up control, you're going to be a founder seller and you'll probably get maybe three or four years in your business. And a lot of people are like you, when you get in the crosshairs of anything, you blow crap up. And it's going to be really annoying to your employee base because they're like, you don't have to be the person who's always like on, like you can be the CEO, just let us operate, right? A lot of people just want to do a good job. They don't want to be the CEO. They don't want to be the owner. They just want to do a good job at their, at their role. And so I think there's a transition, right? From when you do founder seller, you get into these positions, you've seen success. Now you're kind of hiring. I call it your Avengers team, but like the people around you who are going to help you grow and they're going to make you level up. Because as a CEO or as an operator, it's not comfortable to be in a meeting where you don't know the answers to questions that a finance person is actually asking you. It's not comfortable to be in a room with a CMO who has 30 more years of experience than you do. It's not comfortable, but that's business. It's not going to be comfortable when you have to push yourself outside of your comfort zone. So I'd say the inflection point, I would say you should be trying to do it as fast as you possibly can is to be able to scale yourself out of the role into the next problem of your business and hire it out. Because that's how you create success long-term is you have people who've seen each stage. And if you can retain those employees long-term, then they were going to inevitably bring other A players, as the market likes to say, underneath those people in, and they're going to grow and they're going to phase and they're going to scale and that's where success happens. But founder seller models, I've yet to see, at least in my own experience, maybe it's too limited, but I've seen very few work. Understood. Understood. Um, does that change at all when you have raised money, however? Because in the beginning with a founder seller, you might not be able to afford to make those hires that can take things off your plate, run with it and kind of have that uh, immediate delegation. But with funding, that is possible. Yeah. So uh, does that help kind of 
for lack of a better term, cross the chasm faster. You yeah. have capital from founder seller to. to yeah. To I mean, once we had like, you know, first couple million in and revenue and, you know, funding and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it changes completely to where you're hiring for a VP of sales, a VP of customer success and a VP of like uh, legal, right? Like it, it, it's crazy when you have the money to be able to do that. Whereas you're like, oh, I have to jump on a call and I have to do this with like this person and like, oh, like you're, you're just beating your head against a wall and you wish you could go faster to take those problems away. But like, it just depends on how you look at the business, right? And so, yes, it helps you cross the chasm faster. But I would say to anybody bootstrapping, like I've now been bootstrapping for a year and I don't plan to change that at any time. I am more focused on like getting it right. And what I mean by that is you get it right with people, but what I'm trying to get it right with is process, fulfillment, expectation, gold standards, right? So it's like, I have way more influence earlier to know that when a person gets plugged into this model, like there's the process that's been curated for that person to be able to go in and scale it. And they, they can just be plugged into it and I can get out of their way. And so it may take me a little bit longer to get those people in for like money, but at the same time, it's like, you may not even know what to do with that person or how they report to you or what their reporting style is. Or like, again, it, it just depends on how uh, experienced you are as a leader. So having gone from experience, inexperienced, forced to experience, and then pulling out and then going to more experienced in like an operating role, like, I'm just like, I had no clue really how to manage that, 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 not that person. I'd say I, I really didn't know how to manage that role or build that role out with five other people in a team. And I didn't know if I needed to be two hands on, two hands off. If I needed to be like in the weeds, not in the weeds. I didn't know if I needed to be like all over reporting, not in reporting because you've never done it before. And so, yeah. I think uh, it's always good to maybe hire lower level titles who are really hungry. So maybe instead of hiring a VP of sales from like a founder seller model um, and going to a scaled model, it's like, I'm going to hire a manager of sales who's super hungry to be a director of sales. Right. So it's like, they haven't had too much experience and management experience either, but they're hungry to get to that director level. And if they're really good, they're going to go to their VP and then they grow with you. Mm -hmm. And so, to your perspective, it's like, do you want people who are like 30 years into their career coming in and they have egos and something to prove? Or do you want, you know, and the semantics and red tape and bullshit that comes along with that? Or do you want, um, you know, sorry, do you want, um, do you want to have somebody that comes in um, to your company and is like, hey, like, I'm here to help. I want to do anything. I want to grow. And then they just grow with you in the bootstrap journey. Right. And, you know, by nature of funding, it's like, they see the value in giving you money and they want you to grow exponentially faster. So it's like, spend the money, find the people, spend the money, grow the business. Right. Like we're not here for 20 years trying to have a billion dollar exit. We're here for 10 years. Some people like, you know, maybe some venture firms, but they have to report to their LPs like everybody else. And they have to provide a return to their LPs. And so one in every 500 companies is a unicorn. So if you're betting on those statistics and you spread your $175 million fund to 20 investments, you're betting on that, co that cohort on fund one, one of those is going to carry your fund 40 times over to give returns back to your investors. So it's very different than me waking up and be like, ah, I got to pick up my kid from school today, <laughs> right? Like you're not focused on like, shh. Shit, like I have to succeed. I have no choice but to succeed because if I want my payday, then I have to make sure that these people get their payday. Right. And so you're just tied at the hip. And maybe that's maybe too literal in thinking, but that's just how I felt about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I could see that grow at all costs versus grow at the pace you're comfortable with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, for sure. You, you touched on leadership there uh, a bit as well. And one of the things that I'm curious on, you've built with 
partners, founding teams, leaders uh, in every company that you've been a part of. What are some things that you look for in your leadership teams and also even on the uh, equity side of things, on the partnership side? Uh, what are you looking for there? Um, from a, like what makes a strong leadership team, I think are two pieces, like an effective team. So like Google often emphasizes like talent, um, creating like a diverse, inclusive and collaborative culture. So like, I think across the board, it's like a lot of people hire too many people like them Mm. because they don't want people to oppose them. They want people to push back because and, and, and especially in a young culture where people don't know how to ha- handle conflict re- resolution well, which is like a big missing thing in a lot of like millennial and Gen Z and like maybe a little bit past um, companies is like, they just take it offensively. Like, like, hey, like we need to get this done. And they're like, oh, you're like insulting my work. It's like, no, the outcome is this. This needs to be done in order to get to the outcome. And you're a part of that. So I want to help you get to that outcome. Right. And um, even that sounds a little bit different. I I just think that the more that you kind of build a culture um, around like including others into problem solving, as opposed to just taking three level, three people and be like, you're the only three people that can solve this is instrumental to your business. And I think what makes strong, effective leadership is um, I really like Elon Musk's. I I think a lot of people think he's an insane guy, but I think, um, uh, his ambitious goals, his taking calculated risk, and he inspires his teams to work towards like making humanity in a multi-planetary species and all this other stuff. Like it's a little out there, but I think the principle of like working towards a mission, working towards a vision. And when you really think about a rocket, how much like design and time and energy goes into making sure that the bolts are screwed, right? So it's a blast off. It doesn't blow up with people in it. Like I mean, it's so much pressure to succeed and it takes so many people believing that I got to do my best work today in order to make sure that somebody's life and this mission doesn't fail. And I think that if you carry kind of that, like that mentality into your company of like, I got to do my best work today so that this doesn't fail for everybody beneath me. So if you want to be a great leader, it's being willing to do what everybody else already does, but being willing to put in the time and effort to be the best at that thing that you can possibly be. And if you wake up every day and you're like, I have that mentality, then the person who is tightening the screws or building the gas lines or doing whatever next to you probably will emulate that same mentality. So if you have a selfish leader, if you have an egotistical leader, if you have a narcissist, if you have like, 50 different types of leaders, they can work together, but their employees are going to emulate them. So what makes a great leader is employees that emulate great qualities and they go and they go and scale those, you know, positions that they have. How do you identify that in the hiring process? Because that's something that's (laughs) difficult to do. uh, And I'm wondering if you've been able to crack that. Uh, man, like there's no one that knows that, like you can't know that. And they always have this cliche statement, like hire, hire, uh, fire, fire fast, hire slow is like, I think the termed or coined statement, but I mean, like Mercedes and Google, I mean, these people spend billions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars a year on personality testing and multiple interview strategies and HR and people and like you know, psychoanalyzing humans, right? Because we're all different. Like you may love pizza, right? And you're like, oh, I love pizza. And then you get a person is like, everybody's like me. They should love pizza. But no, this guy doesn't like red sauce. What the hell's his deal, right? Everybody's different. And what I accepted is that everybody is different from me. And I know that sounds like kind of simple, but you'd be surprised how many people are like, yeah, you think just like me. So I'm going to hire you. Um, and I think what I kind of found is like, you trust your gut. Do you like this person? Can you work with this person? Could you see yourself giving 
like pass to this person? Would they execute? And then I'd usually always give them like some sort of problem to solve in the hiring process. I'd always be like, Hey, you know, like, let's say that you break down, you know, your car breaks down and you know, you have a tire that like pops, like, what do you do? And what I really would look for with people is like, were they creative at thinking? Did they clearly communicate that problem to try to figure it out? Or were they a person like, I don't know, like I, I probably just called my dad or my mom and they'd come and replace my tire. So it's like, okay, that person's going to look for the easiest way to solve their problem. Or do I want an employee that's like, Hey, like I get out, I'd assess the situation, just make sure that I was in a safe place. I'd go to my back, like with my trunk, I'd open it up. I'd pull out the spare tire. I'd put the jack underneath the car, make sure it was secure. So then I know that they're paying attention to detail. And then I would like, you know, so they'd give me the details. They'd give me the problem. They would try to fix it themselves. And then I would ask them like, you know, what team members would you include to help you solve your problem? And if the person like, oh, I didn't need help, then I knew that they were a little bit more selfish, right? And they'd probably need a little bit more like coaching and help. But if they were like, oh, like I would involve everybody in the car. I just make sure that like one person was doing this. Then I'd be like, that person's a leader. They're specific. They can clearly communicate. They're a team member. They want to succeed. They want to fix the problem and then be on their way to the outcome. And so I kind of had like my own methodology that worked for me, but hiring stuff, like, I don't think there's any advice that would be like, you get the perfect employee because people aren't perfect. We're humans. And so you just have to be okay with imperfection in your company and vulnerabilities, but try to hire people who want to do a good job. They're there to do a good job. You've given them the role, clarity, and responsibility that they want to receive, and then they just go execute. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. So it's almost resourcefulness over skill then for you. Yes, yes, because I think that there's two ways to look at that, right? Is you can look at a person who has accolades, like I went to Harvard and Yale, and not to knock on anybody who went there. I didn't go there, right? I was a freaking podunk kid who went to Weber State, created a multi-million dollar company, right? And I, I think that like in a lot of ways, it's people who have the skills come with bad habits and they come usually sometimes with ego. Not saying everybody's like that, but I'm just speaking like to the problem, not to like the general population that everybody's a certain way. But like, I just think that there are those people who are like, yeah, like this is the way we're going to do it. it has to be done this way. It's the only way to do it. And it's because they have the skills. So you either trust them and they irritate the rest of your team but they get the job done and it's just like, well, they got the job done, but my team like doesn't respect this person. So you like, you kind of juggle these kind of balls, but like, I'd rather have a person that's extremely resourceful, can clearly communicate and works with the team to approach and solve the problem who can get out of their own ideas and be like, my idea is not the best. I think that if we all created this rocket together, we're, we're going to end up with a rocket that goes to Mars and comes back down and mm-hmm. lands. Like, that's what I think. But a lot of people are like, no, this is the Greg Woodfield rocket. And I'm going to send this to space. And I did this, but I never even put my hands on like any of the tools. Mm. So again, it's just like resourcefulness. Sometimes to me, it's like skills can be trained and learned. Um, But at the same time, like you almost like you want a mixture of both. I think it's healthy. But at the same time, like I'd rather have people who are very resourceful. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I got a couple rapid fire questions for you here, uh, here, here at the end. What's the best decision, single decision you've ever made in your career? Oh, that's a great question. I'm not good at rapid fire questions, but I'm going to try to do my best. Single best decision I've ever made in my career truthfully was to walk away from my last company for happiness and health. Love it. Now let's go to the inverse. What's the worst decision you've ever made? The worst decision I ever made, um, probably would have to be, um, not understanding the intentions of people. So 
what I mean by that is I, I just trust everybody. I'd give my time to everybody, give my time freely, like all in every time. And then I saw a lot of people take advantage of that. And so for me, it's just like, I think the worst decision I ever made was just like, Hey, everybody's intentions is like, my intentions are pure. I want to help you. I want to see you grow. I want to see you dominate. But then all of a sudden it was just like, you don't see that same way. And I think like I would get irritated by that or hurt by that. And I think like part of me was just like, okay, that's not like healthy for me. So that's actually a bad decision. So like spend time, invest into those people that you care about. You genuinely want to succeed. Whereas like everybody needs to succeed. We can all do this, right? Totally. What is a book that you believe every entrepreneur should read? Um, there's a lot of books. Oh my gosh. Um, I think there, so there's this book called financial intelligence. It was like a Harvard based book. And I really liked it because it kind of dumbed down like the basic financial practices of a business. Because I think that even though finance tends to get like a bad rap often by a lot of different, you know, entities of the company, like having sound financial practices in your business is actually, you know, very healthy for a long-term success. So I'd say to an early stage entrepreneur, learning about finances early on will definitely help you succeed. I would say to a late stage entrepreneur, I would read uh, the Bonobos founders. It's called Burnout. Um, it's a yellow cover with like a matchstick, uh, but it talks about the Bonobos story and Andy, I can't remember his last name, but um, talks about how like he, under, he came to the conclusion that he was a narcissist, that he was bipolar, um, that like he had done all these bad things, like at all costs for money. And uh, it was just a fascinating book, but it talked a lot about burnout and I think that a lot of entrepreneurs who like make maybe their first bag of money, it no longer comes like, well, it's no longer about the money anymore because that's what I was fighting for. It's now like, I got to wake up and go to work and be happy. And I don't know where to find that. And so I think a lot of people who can sustain like the health being the Renaissance person, I think a good founder who does this is the Whoop founder, um, Will Hamed. Like that guy, I think it's awesome. And I'm not saying that I know him personally, but from the outside looking in, he's a CEO that isn't afraid to post himself and his spouse on vacation. Where a lot of CEOs, like they live their lives in private. They never want anybody to see any personal life, anything that they're doing, because it will encourage their employees to go on vacation. It will encourage their employees to see that there's life outside of work, right? And so, yeah, those would be the two books that I would read. Great recommendations. I'm gonna to have to. I'm gonna to have to check them out. They sound really interesting. Yeah, both great books, both for different yeah. times of your business, for sure. Totally. I love that you gave one for early, early and late stage. Uh, another question for you: You say you go back ten years, and you can either have all of the knowledge you have right now, but none of your connections and network. Or you can go back 10 years and have all of your connections and network, but none of the knowledge that you have, which would, would you choose? I choose the connections and networks all day long. It's just like the, the, the statement, and I would say cliche or coin term, but this is the only one that I genuinely believe in is that your network is your net worth. Like your circle of influence, like for example, if you've only made a million dollars in your life and your friends have only made 200,000, do you think you know how to get to 10 million? No. So any, any entrepreneur who's like bootstrap, try and true, Andy Frisella, Dan Fleischman, you name it, all these people who have hundred million dollar businesses, very successful, bootstrapped all the way to the end. Like they literally are like, I paid 40 grand just to be in this circle. Right. Now, some of them are bullshit, masterminds, all that kind of crap, for sure. They're definitely out there. They're just like money generators for quick grabbers. But like there are genuine groups to where if you were to hang out with that group, that network for less than a 24 hour period, 
you would probably know what it takes to get to 10 million. So I've always just been under the impression that like, if you want to level up, level up your network, level up your group, like be around, like if you're a fat ass, like, and your friends are all fat asses, you're probably going to be a fat ass the rest of your life. I hate to say it that way. If you're a person who's around people are like, bro, let's go exercise. Hey, let's go on a run. Hey, let's go to yoga. Hey, let's go do this. And they're like conscience, like, or if like you go out and eat like shit 24 seven, you're going to eat like shit 24 seven. So like, again, like I think the practice or the practicality of network and connections, you're going to gain knowledge, like, and you'll probably accelerate the knowledge you lost in 10 years to four years. So I know I'm more opinionated on that, but I would say every good thing in my life, I can attribute to a person introing me to another person. Like, for example, I was on the phone with a very big client today um, who wants us to do three of their other businesses and they're massive. They're huge, ginormous, probably one of the biggest clients I've ever like talked to, been a part of, and I'm stoked on it. Right. And that was an intro and it was a text message. It was a text message. We got on a call the next day, bang, customer, we're on the race. Like we're, we're growing. And I'm just like, that was two seconds out of somebody's day to literally ignite another, like, it's like unlocking a new level in Mario. It's like, I get to go again. Like, you know, like I got a mushroom, like I can keep going. You know? <laughs> and so I, I just think that, uh, having that network, having those people in your life, um, and, and leveling up the people like your influence. Now, granted, it doesn't mean you have to like every one of those people, but being around a person who's kind of been there, done that, if that's what you're chasing, they can kind of give you not the, they can give you the dream. They can give you the reality, but the work's got to be on you. Like you got to go do the work. And so, yeah, I would definitely choose the network and connections. I love, I love it. Yeah. Cause, cause that question really essentially weighs, is it, is it knowledge or network yep. and for you? It's a hundred percent, hundred percent network. Yes. I love, I love that. I'm, uh, I'm aggregating the results from this question among many people and I'm, I'm, uh, intrigued to publish the results at some point and, and see what like one, one percent says network and then the rest say knowledge and I'm that one percent. <laughs> I'd almost be like a betting person to say that a lot of people say, so far, a lot of people say knowledge. So far, Dang, so far. So well, we'll, we'll see. But, but I will say, you are someone that has poured a ton of time and attention into a network that not only you help, but also helps you. Yeah. So if you haven't yeah, done that, you know, I could definitely see it going going the other way. Last question. That knowledge. I will just say for those people who chose knowledge. It would be nice to have that knowledge because yeah, you'd be able to accelerate your business and multiple business businesses and doing it earlier with the knowledge you have. It's just like me starting a business a second, a third and a fourth time, right? I didn't just start one business. I started three. So it's like starting three at one time is a completely different challenge as opposed to just starting one because they're all different. But I having the knowledge, obviously, of my like last company implementing like what I learned and how to do things like it exponentially speeds up the process. So I can see why people said knowledge for sure. Sure. Last question for you. If you were to leave behind a guide for your children on how to build a business and how to grow it successfully and you had no more than 60 seconds, what would that guide look like? I would do one page. And I would write good luck with an exclamation point. And that's what I would do for my kids just because like they need to figure it out. And that's what life's about. Like I could give them all the advice in the world, but the application of knowledge is actually true power in business. I could give them the guide. They could read it, but if they didn't apply any of it, maybe it could say work hard. You can do everything, whatever. Right. Like, but if I just say good luck, like go for it. I think that they're probably going to learn way more and be able to do more than they ever would trying to find some perfect method to get to X, Y, Z faster. And I just think that, you know, for me, like, I don't plan to give like any of my wealth to my kids. Like I'd rather just give it to like charity, you know, and just say like, 
I figured it out, you can figure it out because I'd rather just pass on like the can do figure it out attitude as opposed to like the entitled attitude. So I love that. Greg with all the unique answers today. <laughs> Everyone there, but he's like, yeah, I'd publish the whole book for sure. <laughs> I, I love it. Anything, uh, uh, anything that's coming up for you, anything you want to plug, uh, right now? Anything I want to plug shoes. Um, well, I, you know, I have a digital marketing agency. We run SMS and email traffic for brands, very high level. Um, we own a property management company. So I manage short-term rentals, do arbitrage, stuff like that. I own a fund um, where we do broker-dealer stuff, um, where we do intros to funds. Funds intro us to deals. Deals get intro to brands. So if you're a brand, if you're looking for money, if you're looking for a deck, if you're an investor, um, so kind of plugging that way. And then I also do consulting for funds. So that's been kind of an interesting thing where I've taken on about, you know, 15 different consulting clients. And so I meet with them, you know, some are five hours a week, some are two hours a week. Um, but it's actually been really kind of like therapeutic, I think, to talk about problems with other business owners very frequently and then try to apply strategy um, or I guess like discovery strategy and execution. So shameless plugs that if anybody's listening and needs some help in those departments, um, I don't have social. So I guess you're going to have to get my email from Nick and you can just email me and we'll get together. So uh, I, I love it, man. I love it. And I will personally, I've talked with Greg on a, on a number of things, but personally on the email and SMS side, uh, one of the only guys I would trust in this category, sending over a billion messages and overseeing strategy for over a billion messages at one of his last uh, companies. So truly a master sensei of the game on the email and SMS side. So uh, if you're looking for help, definitely uh, get in touch with me and I'll give you his email. But um, Greg, thank you so much for all the time today and, and insight. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you and uh we'll chat with you soon yeah thank you so much for having me and uh good luck to anybody listening to podcasts on their entrepreneurial journey it's it's tough we're all on it and uh the more people you can find that support you the better um that journey will be so i appreciate the time man this has been awesome sweet all right everybody we'll talk to you next time see ya